to our scripture for this morning. Um, we are back in the book of Ephesians, and I'll be reading verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, good to see everyone this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Um, when you saw Cammy read that scripture, how many of you were concerned? Because that was a pretty big bite of scripture. And I know we're used to taking really small bites. You got to be like, man, he's never going to end this sermon today. Don't worry. Um, it was actually by design because we kind of have to step back today and look more broadly at what it is we're studying. So just a real quick recap. This letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, it's got six chapters in it. The first three chapters are all about belief. The second three chapters are all about behavior. And when we think about belief and behavior, they're intrinsically linked. Now the behavior side, chapters four through six, the first part of behavior is all about how the church is to behave. And then the second part of behavior is about how individuals are to behave. And so we're wrapping up this church piece today, which is why I want to pull all of this together into one big bite that we're going to take at the scripture this morning. So as you can see, Paul starts out with these five church offices, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And these are gifts that Jesus gives to the church in the form of people who he calls to these positions, and then he gifts them to carry out these particular offices. Now, some of these offices, by virtue of their qualifications, they've kind of sort of died off, kind of like the apostles and the prophets, while others, like shepherds and teachers, they've taken on a more prominent role as the church has become a part of local communities. And of course, evangelists are kind of in that middle ground where generally they're considered to be a temporary office, but they are called back into place occasionally as needed. Now, we shouldn't think about these different offices as though they're no longer used, uh, because instead we should consider what it is they're used for, which is the church, the invisible church. And the invisible church is the true church. It's the church that spans from Pentecost to today. All people who have placed their faith in Jesus and received the Holy Spirit, they are part of the invisible church. So while we may not have prophets and apostles today, the work that they did in the early church is very important to us in the church of 2023. We rely deeply on the scripture that was composed, those New Testament letters that were written. So it's very much a part of this church, all of these different offices, and they're helpful to building us up. Second, always be reminded that God is sovereign. He moves where he moves. He does what he does. And he could bring these offices back at any point in time. But the most important thing we see here is that these offices, they had one really important mission, and it was to equip the saints. These leadership offices were designed for that reason, to equip the saints to do two things, the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. So pastors aren't given to churches 
so that they can do the work of ministry, so that members don't have to. Pastors are given as gifts to the church to equip them, all the members, to do the ministry and for building up the body of Christ. It takes all 586 of those people who call themselves four-milers to carry out the twin towers of our calling, the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. And our mission field is our everyday, ordinary lives. Jesus calls every single one of us to be on mission as part of the church. You don't have to go to Zimbabwe or halfway around the world to be on mission. We're on mission right here in the tri-state region and beyond. And when pastors do what they're called to do, equip the saints by teaching the truth of Scripture. And when the saints do what they're called to do, the work of ministry, the body of Christ is built up. And how does that happen? Well, Paul told us three ways. First, we're united by one faith. So we can have different views about how the end times go down or different views about worship, but we cannot have different views about our faith. We are all dead in our trespasses and sins, and we are made alive in Christ by one thing, God's grace and God's grace alone. And that happens through the mechanism of faith. That is the one faith that unites the invisible church. Second, we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, both our head and our heart knowledge, meaning we are in a relationship with Jesus. We don't just know about him, we actually know him. And then third, we mature. We grow up to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, meaning becoming more like Jesus each day. So this is all that stuff that we covered before we started out on Holy Week, and now we're gonna see today why it is that we all must continue to mature and to grow in our faith. Paul writes, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So Paul expounds on the need for us to mature, to grow up by using children as an illustration. And I want to summarize in a single phrase what it is that Paul is going to teach us today. If you are a child of God, if you are one of his adopted children, then this message is for you. Grow up. Don't you love hearing that? As a kid, being told to grow up, sometimes even as adults, we're told to grow up. May seem a little harsh, grow up. But that's essentially what Paul's going to teach us this morning. So let's see why. Remember, we all start out on this wide, dark path that leads to eternal destruction. But when we place our faith in Jesus, that's the mechanism, by grace, we're born again into this new life in Christ. Christ's blood makes us right before God, placing us on that narrow, well-lighted path. And regardless of our age, regardless of our status, regardless of our education level, when we are born again, we start over as a child in our faith. Our conversion is not the end, it's just the beginning. But we can't stay children. Paul says, all children of God must mature or grow up in your faith. So as you look at that graphic up there, where are you in your walk? Are you growing up? Are you maturing in your faith? Is your prayer life flourishing? Is your understanding of scripture increasing? Is your trust deepening? Is your relationship with Jesus developing? Are you less fascinated 
by the things of this world. These are all indicators that we're growing in our faith so that we don't remain children who are tossed to and fro by the waves. The first of two images Paul paints for us today. What a great image it is because children are easily tossed to and fro like a tiny ship in the ocean. And why is that? Well, a couple of reasons. First, because children are impulsive and moody. If we're honest, we can be that way in our faith too. How often do we show up in our everyday ordinary lives or to worship impulsive and moody? So much of our lives unfold driven by how we feel that day because we just can't seem to get over ourselves, which is why Paul keeps teaching us, get over yourself. Like a child who one minute is cranky, the next minute hyperactive, the next minute discontent, then happy, then tired, then sad, all in the span of an afternoon. Second, children are tossed to and fro like a small ship in the ocean because they're drawn to shiny new objects. When children lose interest in a toy, we're quick to hand them another because newness attracts them. Are we that way in our faith, drawn to new and novel forms of worship or spiritual experiences, captivated by the latest worship trends, or easily deceived by reports of miraculous events attributed to special people with a unique kind of faith? And then third, children are tossed to and fro like a small ship in the ocean because they like to be entertained. Children resist work, discipline, responsibility. They'd much rather play with their toys or their Xbox than do work. Is that how we approach our call to church? Preferring entertainment over truth. Drawn to charismatic pastors who speak off the top of their head, telling these captivating stories, gifted in their oration and their humor, but lacking in their devotion to the pursuit of truth. Are we children in our faith? tossed to and fro by the waves? Are we carried about by every wind of doctrine? The second image Paul paints for us. I love that image, the way wind just tosses leaves around in the fall. Children are easily carried about by every wind of doctrine. Why? Well, first, because they lack knowledge. They're young. They just don't know any better. They haven't experienced things yet. For example, you've got to teach them that it's dangerous to play in the streets. Why? Because they lack the knowledge. Are we that way in our faith? Lacking knowledge of the dangers of secular humanism, moral relativism, or pantheism, the prevailing ideologies and winds of doctrine that blow about these days. Do we know anything about them? Because if we don't, we'll be subject to their forces, and we won't even know that it's happening to us. Second. Children are carried about by every wind of doctrine because they're easily misled and deceived. They come home from school with all sorts of crazy ideas, mostly from playground conversations. Other children, as ignorant as they are, proclaiming truth about sexual orientation or gender identity. Are we that way in our faith, easily led astray by false teachings we stumble upon online, easily misled? by heretical lyrics in songs, or by pastors with their mouths open, but their Bibles closed. And third, children are carried about by every wind of doctrine because they dogmatically switch views. If any of you have had teenagers in your family, you know all about this. They're so certain of one thing one day, 
ready to reorganize their entire lives around this newfound view. And then the next day, equally as passionate about another view, taking them in the exact opposite direction. Are we that way in our faith, switching views, so easily persuaded by what we experience on social media? And then Paul lists a few other things that can trip us up, keep us from maturing in our faith. Human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, of course, this is not the only time that Paul warns us of the impact of all the evil that lurks around us. We see warnings about it all over Scripture. It's everywhere and always working against God. And Paul isn't talking about accidental transgressions. We love to call that evil. He also isn't talking about oversights, when someone just has an oversight and we think, well, that was an evil action, wasn't it? Or even the inconvenience of a long line when you get your driver's license. I know that sounds like evil, but that is not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about something else. He's talking about human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, the original language refers to the rolling of dice. So these are scammers. And you can see by that special dice I have up there, there's something wrong with that dice. Hopefully you can figure that out um, so you don't get scammed one day. But these were people who back in the day were adept at taking advantage of others. These are deliberate, premeditated, and targeted attempts at preventing our maturity in the faith, carried out by what the Bible calls false prophets, people who distort the truth for their own agenda. They dress themselves up like Christians, so they look and they smell legit. They smile and they even carry a Bible. But they're not at all about Jesus, and they're not at all about his church. They manipulate Christianity to serve their own ends. They hang out in the church, and yes, they're even here at Four Mile, and so we must always be on guard for them. And because they're under the influence of the evil one, they operate just like he did in the garden. Remember how the serpent approached Eve, planting those seeds of doubt. He said, did God really say that? Well, that's the mark of a false prophet. They speak counter to God's word, the truth that we find in Scripture. Sometimes it's from ignorance, sometimes arrogance. Most often, it's a result of spiritual pride. They like to present themselves as having divinely appointed superiority. They know something that you don't know or that others don't know, that God told them something that they should do or God told them something that you should do but it just doesn't square with scripture. And regardless of the motive or what lies behind their craftiness, they're really good at what they do. So don't be fooled by their passion, the crackle in their voice, the tears they so often produce as they whip out their Bibles to bully you with scripture, taking passages completely out of context, ever so subtle in the way they undermine the truth to fit their own personal agendas. And by all means, do not fall prey to their accusations and the condemnation that they throw your way. That is the easiest way to spot them. They're always accusing people of things, and they're always condemning people of things. You see, unless we grow up grounded in the truth of Scripture, we will be subject to their deceitful schemes. And don't think you can just avoid it either. Like, hey, man, I'm not going to church anymore. If this stuff's going on around here, I got no time for this stuff. Because here's the thing. We're promised in Scripture that, that as believers, we're going to confront this stuff. And so we can't just stick our head in the sand. 
And the good news is, Paul goes on here to tell us what we're supposed to do. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So we battle against it by speaking the truth in love. Now we got to be careful with this phrase, truth in love, because the word love doesn't mean Christians are to be nice, only saying nice, happy things. That is the worldly view of love, but it is not the biblical view of it. Love is a choice, it is an act of the will. We're to choose to speak the truth. So Christians aren't focused on nice, they're focused on truth. When we focus on nice, we're especially vulnerable to deceitful schemes because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. And so we don't stand up to false prophets who are distorting the truth, and then their contagion spreads. It's why one of our church fundamentals here at Four Mile is that we love you enough to tell you the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. Truth is a real, definable thing, and we find it in the pages of Scripture. Now, we're not to be a jerk about it, being disrespectful, bitter, or focused on winning some argument. Rather, we're to speak the truth in love, or speak the truth because we love you. And so we do it with a spirit of humility. We do it operating by God's power that we've been learning about over the last couple of weeks, focused on the internal, non-coercive, gentle, constructive, because we're sinners too, and we need as much grace as the next guy. So we do it with humility, and we do it with grace. But we don't ever shy away from the truth for the sake of being nice. And that is because we all want to progress down that path that leads to the kingdom of God. We all want to be maturing so that we all grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's what being sanctified is all about. It moves us along that path as we become more Christ-like. It's the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit who is also empowering and uniting Christ's body, the church, always pointing us to Jesus, the head of the church. And he doesn't just do it in a single dimension or two. Because notice how Paul uses the phrase, grow up in every way, meaning in all aspects of your life, growing up symmetrically. We don't want to be a malformed body where we just have big biceps and nothing else. We're to be built up on all dimensions. And that's why we want everyone to train up on all 12 of those pillars we keep talking about so that we can grow up in every way, becoming more Christ-like in our behavior. And as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, our fascination with him will also grow. We won't be able to help ourselves but to pray to him. We'll look for every single chance to spend time in scripture, getting to know him even more and more each day. We'll find ourselves inspired and captivated by the gospel message, wanting to share it with absolutely everyone. Do you know, I've actually had people say, they're tired of looking at this graphic up here. They'll say, don't you have anything else you can produce? And I'm like, but wait, this graphic is the gospel message. As we become more like Jesus, it should thrill and excite us. If it's become boring and dull, perhaps we're still a child, impulsive and moody, 
looking for some shiny new object or just simply wanting me to be up here entertaining you. No, the more we grow in Christ, the more the gospel message should thrill us. And that's why my favorite email, I get a couple a week or so, where someone will send me a note and say, hey, can you send me that slide? I, I need to really get into that slide. I want to be able to explain that to my coworkers, because that's the gospel message. Those are the kind of emails that excite me, as opposed to, don't you have something else? I don't have anything else. That's all we got. That's what the scripture's all about up there. So we're going to continue to talk about it. And then Paul shows us what happens to the church when we each grow up in Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul has just been encouraging each of us individually to mature, to grow up in our faith so that we're not tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, so that we're not susceptible to human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. And as we do that, at the individual level, Paul says the whole body is built up, meaning the body of Christ, the invisible church. You see, we're all in this together, pilgrims, sojourning through this life, engaged in one big caravan like we were in Lent, but the caravan here is the entire church. So there is an intensive margin where we grow up, that is at the individual level, but there's also an extensive margin where the church grows along with us because we're all joined and held together by every joint with which it, the church, is equipped. Kind of like the way a puzzle piece fits together within the larger puzzle. Each piece is distinct and unique but it also fits with other parts, comprising something bigger than itself. And when it all works properly together as one body, it makes the whole body grow. The body, where Jesus is the head and the Holy Spirit unites each member. So they work properly together so that they can grow, maturing to the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ, who is the head. So that it builds itself up in love. Love is the central feature here, so don't miss this part. We're landing the sermon here. This is really, really important that, we important that we grasp this. You see, God is love. So if we're gonna be like Jesus, God's son, we must be loving too. That's why we're to speak the truth in love. Because Paul says here that love is what builds us up. Now to extend Paul's illustration, love is like the blood that flows through, nourishes, and sustains the body. Whatever makes its way into the bloodstream makes its way into every body part. And you can see that when you think about how like a painkiller, like Tylenol works. You don't tell it that it's your little toe that hurts. You just take the Tylenol, it gets into your bloodstream, it works to every part of your body, and wherever the pain is, it goes to relieve that pain. Same thing goes with how we consume food. The nutrients make their way into our bloodstream. It builds and it heals tissue. And of course, the same thing goes with the bad stuff. Too much sugar, too many carbs, gets in the bloodstream. It's why it's so important for the sake of the church that each of us are healthy, that we're nourished by love so that we can mature. Because if we remain children, we remain vulnerable to the deceitful schemes of the evil one. We can catch a disease, and it can spread to the other body parts, too. And we don't want the bad stuff. We want the good stuff, building up the body, the love of Christ, 
the love that was poured out in the form of his blood on that cross for our sins. It washes us clean, makes us white as snow, and it is his love that builds up the body of Christ. So do you see now that as believers, as God's adopted children, each of us are a child of his love. It's what builds us up individually and as the church. And that is why Paul is teaching us that every single one of us must simply grow up. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Please help us to speak the truth in love so that we all might grow up into Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our friend. As children of your love, build us up in faith so that we might never be tossed to and fro like the waves, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, or by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Father, we love you. We're eternally grateful that we are adopted children of your love. And so we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.